Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 245 of Yoga Land. I hope you are all doing well out there as we barrel toward the holiday season here in the U.S., And as we barrel toward the end of 2021, I'm finding my mind is a little bit blown that we are already here. I just feel like this year has flown by. And I'm super grateful for it and very grateful for the holidays because I love the holiday season. But uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm finding myself wanting to spend more time journaling lately and more time in my quiet internal practices, breathing and contemplative practice, just to kind of get a grip on the present. It just goes so quickly. Anyway, this week I am rerunning one of our most popular episodes from last year, Four Ways to Prevent Yoga Injuries. It was a conversation that I had with Jason, and it really is sort of the top line best practices that he uses in approaching asana practice and just creating a healthy practice. So enjoy the episode. And we now have his injuries online program is on sale today. So if you would like to learn more about the current online program that he's running, we've changed it a bit so that it is now available for a year instead of six months. Most of our programs are going to remain available for six months because We just agree that it motivates people a bit more to get things done. The longer you sort of keep things open, the longer we humans tend to drag it out. And we want you to get through these programs and really get the information. But for injuries, we felt like we had a discussion about it and we felt like this content can take longer to process and implement in your teaching and in your practice. And it's also super useful content to be able to go back and refer to. So that is one reason that we are offering a year-long access to this content if you sign up for the course. And the other thing is that instead of doing all of the calls over one three-day weekend, a long weekend, Jason is going to spread the calls out so they're once a month and the first call starts December 11th. It will be made available via replay. I know that question will come in. If you can't make it to the live calls, you can always watch them on replay. But there will be one call every month so that you can work through the content at a bit of a slower pace. And wherever you are in the content, you can ask your questions in each of those three calls. So I hope that's helpful. But if you want more information, go to jasonyoga.com injuries, and I will have all the info up on that page. And you can also sign up to register. So we hope to see you and enjoy this episode. Well, here we are. And today we are going to talk a little bit about injury management. We're going to start with best practices um, for injury management in vinyasa yoga, which is like such a hot topic because we all get injured. Yeah. We just all, it's just having a body. I would say actually these are best practices for an asana practice, regardless of its of its vinyasa yoga or not. Okay. And you know, the reason that just like the reason that we had a few episodes in a row about sequencing is as I was developing content for my course, that's what's top of mind, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like for those of you that teach, your um your practice is going to be fodder for your classes. What happens 
to you, what you go through in your own practice, you're going to use that as inspiration for your teaching. And then same thing right now, I am building all of the content for uh, probably it'll be four days, probably not three days, online training on injury management and prevention. Yes. Um, this was a program that I've taught a few times in physical locations. I've taught in a bunch of different uh, cities and I was going to teach it this year in Chicago and had to cancel it because of COVID. But the upside is do it online. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm writing just like I did for the sequencing, I'm creating a handbook. One of the things that I know from teaching for a long time online, you know, I've done so many online programs, not just during Zoom, is that online trainings actually need much more structure and much more reinforcement and much more corroboration than in-person trainings, mm -hmm. right? So as I'm kind of going through all of this stuff and chapterizing it and creating like all these short digestible videos, um, I realized that before we start talking about, oh, my knee hurts when I do pigeon or my hamstring attachment's injured or when I raise my right arm, the top of my shoulder's uncomfortable, what do I do? Before I get to any of that stuff, we need kind of, we need to ground ourselves in best practices. And in some ways, what I want to go through is total common sense, but we need to be reminded of commonsensical things all the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I was talking with my group the other day and um, just think about how many times in your life you need to be reminded like, hey, things are going to be okay. Oh my gosh. Right? Every five seconds. Every five seconds, right? <laughs> we we right kind of need that. Like you're enough. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of the reasons that like um, – I don't mean it negatively, but like simple platitudes are sometimes or cliches are still helpful because we we need some some not just basic advice, but we need we need to be um, we need to have like our sensibilities positively reinforced. Yeah, and we constantly need to be reminded of the essentials of what is important. What is what our essentials are? <laughs> what anyway. is important? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the first thing that I want to bring up, right, um, and, I, and I say this, right, I say this as a yoga teacher that I think for the, for the most part has made my living on being a pretty detail-oriented alignment teacher. But the first thing that I want to say in terms of big picture advice regarding injury management is it's not all about alignment. It's not all about alignment. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to continue on this, but this is the first thing. It's not about doing the pose, quote unquote, right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember when, I think his name is William Broad, right? Wrote that book uh, that came out that was really sensationalist. I mean, it had some decent points, but super sensationalist book um, about injuries in yoga and it sold a lot of copies, but it kind of, it kind of created this, this, uh, fury in the yoga world for a period of time. And, um, and I think a lot of the things that I saw around that was, yeah, but if you're doing it right, if you're doing the poses right, you're not going to hurt yourself. And here I am, a, a, like, I think a pretty good technically oriented teacher saying, actually, that's not necessarily true. Right. It isn't actually just about the alignment. It's about something more, right? So these are the things that I think about. It's it's kind of a combination of this. Um, when I'm thinking, what is the best way 
to help minimize the potential of injuries, I think about these four or five things together. I think about a moderate pace, right? I think about skillful alignment. I think about the degree of intensity and the duration and the repetition of postures. Mm -hmm. We have to think about all of those things, right? And the reason that I say this is because without a doubt, skillful alignment that suits the needs of one's body is going to help distribute stresses. It's going to help offload excess stress from vulnerable regions. um, And it's going to minimize the potential for disruption. But if you do the right pose the right way too many times, too intensely, if you stay too long and you don't do a complement of the opposite of those poses, you might just be on the road to a repetitive stress injury, mm-hmm. right? So we- Pose like that for me would be like triangle. Totally. It's like, I love triangle. It's a great pose for me. Um, in most ways, my body is really suited to triangle, except that I have a slight tendency toward sacroiliac yeah. instability. If I find myself just- like if I'm in a two week period, just doing too many triangles and I'm just kind of like going a little too deep and I'm not really engaged enough where I, I personally need to be engaged, which is like my adductors, I will get achy. Yeah. But it's a pose that I love and a pose that is not bad, quote unquote, for my body. Totally. So the I think this this actually lands into another thing that I, I wasn't going to talk about, but I'll bring up. But um, once in a while... I will kind of pull back on a pose and I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to kind of hit pause on teaching this particular pose because I think it's really hard to reconcile for a population. But the reality is I don't think that the issue is so much the poses. It's how we do those poses and whether or not those poses ultimately suit our body. Mm -hmm. Right? So yoga is for everybody. But not every pose is for everybody. Mm -hmm. And not every pose is for everybody at all phases of their life, Mm -hmm. right? And so again, it it would be silly for me to be like, oh, no, Andrea, actually triangle pose if you just did it the right way. Right, exactly. And this was kind of, I won't, this was kind of the narrative of, I wouldn't say was, but is the narrative of, of, can be of certain teachers and styles that just kind of be like, no, 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 it's all, if you do it, if you do it according to A, B, C, D, E, then it's right. Yeah. And and in to some degree that's correct, but but again, there's a bigger picture here, mm-hmm. right? Or chaturanga will come up, or pigeon pose will come up, or they'll all be these like really like quick hits of like, well, you, you shouldn't do this pose or you shouldn't do that pose. And it again, I, I think I want to stay really broad here and just say, look, as a community of teachers and a community of practitioners. Let's step back and let's not answer difficult questions too quickly. Let's say that there are a couple of primary factors when it comes to minimizing injuries. Alignment is one of those, but degree of repetition, intensity of duration, duration, like how long you stay in the pose. um, And then also the pace with which you do it. Like, are you actually moving at a pace that you can pay attention to the signals that are present? You know, and if you're sometimes if you're moving too quickly, you just you're not able to actually get some of the signals that your body has 
um, given you, mm-hmm. especially in a hot room. So this is something like that I hold myself extremely accountable to because I, well, prior to COVID and after COVID, willing, hopefully, um, will teach a vinyasa practice in a warm room again, right? Yeah. And I have to know like that feels really great and it's really wonderful, especially if you're particularly skillful and already really healthy. But if we go a little too quick in that room, especially once you're warm and you have certain repetitive stress or tendinopathy, um, you might not notice that you're getting certain irritations. It might feel lovely then, but then, you know, a couple of hours after class, maybe you realize that, you know, you re-triggered a certain ongoing injury because we were moving at a pace and we had a temperature and an intensity where you couldn't quite read it. What's tendinopathy? Uh, it's a broad category for irritation of a tendon. Okay. So it's a pathology of a tendon. There's a bunch of different um, types of it or subcategories. Um, but the point here is like, we can't just think it's about alignment. We can't just think, oh, it's this pose or that pose. We have to really step back and look at these broad characteristics. Okay. Right? And just be as sober-minded and reasonable as we can mm-hmm. and and a- avoid... Um, magical thinking at all costs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or like extremist thinking, thinking like, well, it has to be done this way yeah. and it has to be done under these conditions because even if those are true and skillful conditions, they're not, they're not going to work for everyone all the time. It's somewhat fundamentalist, right? To, Fair to, to think like that you're like, as a teacher, you're going to teach someone the absolute fundamental right way to do it. And then therefore they will not get injured. One of the things that I learned, one of one of the, I have taught in a lot of different settings, and I've taught with um, and and partnered and learned from really, really not just great yoga teachers, but doctors of sports medicine, more to medicine, medicine. <laughs> it was like your little Castilian uh, accent. Came yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in orthopedics and traumatology, right? Um, so, but one of the things that was so helpful for me was for a few years. I've spoken about this before for a few years teaching in a pain management clinic uh, that was a that was connected to a hospital and it was a program for people that were in acute chronic pain and yeah. there's these 12 week programs. And one of the things that I learned so much about um, working with that particular population um, was how much I didn't know and how much the things I thought were gonna work didn't work, hmm. right? And, and that was so actually so helpful because one of the things I know now is that I don't know everything mm-hmm. and I'm not prescriptive. And that not everyone's going to respond in the same way. Exactly. Because we kind of are all in different places in, in our lives and our bodies and our, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So the next thought that you were um, going to offer is minimizing adjustments. Mi- specifically minimizing intensity-based adjustments. Okay that use your leverage to promote greater passive range of motion in a student's body. Now, you and I have talked at length on this podcast about adjustments, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we will do so many more times. There's so many things to talk about when we're talking about putting our hands on another student in a yoga class, yeah, right? Um, and I, although I haven't really given adjustments, at least not many for years, Um, The first types of adjustments that I really started to pull out of my teaching 
were the kind of adjustments where I used my leverage to move your body part further. Mm-hmm. Right. I just, I just, so and give I'm, an example of a pose. Okay. So someone is in a seated forward bend. Someone is in Pachimottanasana. Mm-hmm. And I take my hands to their sacrum and I gently press their sacrum forward to increase their forward bend. Mm-hmm. And right? you lean your weight. I lean my weight on it. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And it would just be my hands. But, but I don't use my body to press your body further into a pose ever. Mm -hmm. I haven't given adjustments like that. This is no exaggeration. I have not given adjustments like that in probably six years Mm -hmm. because there was just a long time ago where I just realized like, I mean, if everyone that was listening to this podcast, because, because I do this in my teacher trainings all the time. So I, I would say if everyone that is listening to this podcast that has experienced an injury from a manual adjustment, if I said, raise your hand right now, my guess is a minimum of 60% of our audience would raise our hand. I think at a minimum. I think at a minimum. Yeah. Okay. And I can tell you the exact mechanism of what happened. You were already at your threshold. You were already at your threshold. You were, that isn't to say you were at your maximum, but if you think about it like an accelerator, you were in the red zone. Okay. So the reason you stop and oppose is because you're listening to the biofeedback that is saying, stop. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't from time to time transcend that and grow and build, but pressing through it is patently not the way to do it. Relaxing at that threshold, breathing at that threshold, repeating that threshold, and then with your own strength, continuing through that threshold over time may be the way to do it. But the way to actually go through that threshold in a safe way is not to have someone else apply pressure or torque. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that doesn't feel great from time to time or most of the time. I'm not saying that um, I haven't learned or enjoyed being on both ends of that process. I joke with my students all the time, like, I'm actually really good at getting bodies into positions that they have no business being in. <laughs> it's kind of fun, uh-huh. but but the risk is not worth it, right? In my opinion, at this at this phase, like what we know about um, what we the, the information that we have access to as a modern community that is practicing this this ancient tradition, we don't we don't have to hurt people. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's, it's really, it's really, um, it's kind of, well, I won't, I won't say it's just, um, it's really anachronistic that people are still getting pushed into postures because again, and I, and, and not everyone will agree and that's okay. You know, we have a space where not everyone has to agree. That's okay. Um, but when I asked this question in teacher trainings, I've never had less than 70% of the people raise their hand. So the mechanism of injury there was you were already at your threshold. Someone applied leverage. You were not engaged. In fact, that leverage probably disengaged you. They applied more load. You went further into a passive range of motion and it created an overstretch injury. Mm -hmm. And was it worth it? No, it actually wasn't worth it. So it's really easy. So, so, so this is beyond the scope to talk about right now, but there actually are other ways to give manual adjustments 
that focus on stabilization and resistance. Right. Right. That's something that you go over a lot. In yeah, training. that's something that I talk a lot about in, in trainings, right? In that, but it's a it's a big transformation of consciousness where I say, hey, I'm actually not pressing you further into the pose. I'm resisting your ability to move into the pose. So you have to work a little bit more. So it creates a little bit more strength in position instead of adding a load to a passive position. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I get, again, this is one of those things I say it time and time again, like as a community, we, we pretty much all have an iPhone or you have an Android or whatever, and you have to do system updates. Okay. And it's the same thing with technique and yoga. Like we learn, mm -hmm. we learn and we grow. So we still practice, but how, how would we practice without paying attention to like, imagine you are trying to convince someone, okay, you guys, yoga is so good for you. Oh my God, it is so good for you. You're gonna love it. The teacher's so nice. You're gonna feel good. You're gonna be, you're gonna learn to like love yourself and be compassionate. You're gonna be stronger. You, you might get, you, it might be a little uncomfortable from time to time, but you're gonna learn, you're gonna grow, you can get more open. Okay, there's probably like a 70 to 90% chance that in your first five years, you will have a significant ligament or tendon injury because someone will push you too far in a pose, but, but don't worry about that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like what, what part of the story doesn't actually make sense, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I, again, last thing, I'm sure there's a couple people listening that are like, well, I've never had an injury. And it's like, great, <laughs> great. You are a magical great. unicorn. <laughs> great, great, great. And there, I'm not saying that no manual adjustment ever works for anyone at any time. But in the context of minimizing the potential for injury um, and helping people develop a practice, I think stepping away from these leverage-based adjustments where you press someone quote unquote deeper is probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah. All right, next best practice is emphasizing even distribution of forces instead of localization of forces. This is like, this to me is a really, there's kind of like- Very much like an architect in that uh, little description. I'm a- Engineer. I, I am a uh, structural bioengineer. There you go. I'm I knew you were gonna. I knew that would inspire you to come up with some very lofty uh, title for yourself. I am also never wrong, <laughs> and I am the single arbiter of truth. Oh God! None of those things are true. No, you would not be married at all if, if that's what you believe. <laughs> not to you. Not that's to for me, sure. Not you to anyone. Fall. Trust well, me. hopefully, hopefully, anyone out there. Don't marry a crazy person that says those things. Actually, marry a crazy person that says those things, but only if they're joking about it. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Okay, so I am not an architect. The ma I don't even think I took a math class in college. I'm so you didn't either? either? No. Oh my God. So I went to Western College program uh, at Miami University. And anyone that wants to check my wingnut leftist credentials, you can, because it was the... <laughs> <laughs> it was the exact same credential as Evergreen College. Um, so this is this is where if, I feel like if if anyone ever tries at some phase to outleft me, I will take them down. Okay, I haven't really stayed on that. But the, total not spectrum, having but. a core curriculum does not make you. More no, we had a core. We had I a core don't. curriculum, but it just didn't include actual like sciences. <laughs> same here. I mean, I went. Was, to, I went to Smith College. I went to a very very. Uh, high reputation college, yeah. but for some reason, while I was there, we did not those we did not have 
core curriculum. I think they've changed that since since the nineties. We had an we actually I I in all sincerity I think we had an amazing education. We had a really amazing edu- amazing education, but but the hard sciences weren't there. <laughs> and actually, that was really good for me. That was really good for me at that phase of my life. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's what I want to, here's what I kind of want to um, present, which is we need to have a slightly different set of techniques for postures that, um, that have a low degree of intensity and for postures that have a high degree of intensity. Okay, so I'm gonna give an example. And this is one of those moments on Yoga Land where I have no idea if this is gonna work for anyone. Like, I don't know. And even when I teach this in, in the room, this is one of those things, and I know teachers because I can identify where I feel so strongly about what I'm gonna say, and I think it's so important, and I literally have no idea if it makes sense outside of my brain. Okay, okay? let's go for it, I'll tell you. So let's... <laughs> <laughs> all right so um think about cat pose okay okay so when you do cat pose you're on all fours you posteriorly tilt your pelvis and you flex your spine so you round your pelvis back right you tilt your pelvis back you tuck your tailbone and you round your spine forward and that is okay in fact, that is really lovely because that increases the stretch of the whole back body. You stretch your paraspinal muscles um, and you get like really good flexion articulation of the spine, okay? But imagine doing that exact same technique in Pachimottanasana. So you're sitting with the legs forward and then you rotate the pelvis back on the thighs as much as you can while you round your spine forward. Is that still a good and sustainable pose? No, it's the exact opposite of what anyone would actually do. What's the difference in those two poses? Well, there's a couple differences in those poses, but the main difference is that the in cat pose, you are in an extremely easy to control shape. It's very easy to not overstress the back body because you can you can apply very low stress. So because you can apply very low stress, it makes sense to rotate the pelvis one way and the spine the other way, right? Yeah. But if you were to do that same thing in a standing forward bend or Pachimottanasana, that would be the that would it would be horrible. Mm-hmm. Because it's a much higher stress posture. So what I'm getting at in this is when you have a really low intensity very easy to control pose, it kind of makes sense to concentrate sensation because it's a mild sensation. It's a low stress. But when you're in a much more demanding posture where there's much more stress, you don't want it to concentrate. You want to distribute it, Mm -hmm. right? So the bigger, the harder, the more intense the pose the less you're trying to load a lot of stress in one place, the more you're trying to distribute it across a larger field. Okay. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Think about a bridge because I am a structural engineer. <laughs> I am not. But if you make a bridge and your car, you like the car you put on it is a matchbox car and it weighs 12 ounces, you can probably make that bridge out of balsa wood. 
um, you can't make a real bridge out of balsa wood. It's this. It's it's kind of the same thing. It's like you you have to understand that the body is at its root a stress distributing device. When you look at when you understand the skeleton, when you understand the tissues, the structure, you understand that the body it has evolved to not concentrate stressors in one place, but to distribute them across the entire system. Because if you have too much stress in one place, that's a liability. You need to take X amount of stress when it's high and distribute it through the whole system, not put it in one part, mm -hmm. right? So it's the same thing with poses. So what I'm getting at in here is this high level concept, which is just practically really simple, is that the yoga tradition, here's the second part of it, is the yoga tradition doesn't really, from a philosophical perspective, talk about strength or flexibility. I mean, it kind of does. It talks about fortitude and resilience, kind of, but it talks a lot about equanimity, mm -hmm. right? It talks a lot about sama. Mm -hmm. And it talks about developing the capacity to respond to internal variables and to external variables with composure. And so I'm not sure in yoga why that isn't our physical focus, right? Because what we want to do, I think, especially to minimize injuries is don't load up one place too much because that's a stress. We, we The body needs stresses. Yeah. Okay. Without a doubt. But highly concentrated stresses that are repeated might be more vulnerable than stresses that are transmitted across a bigger area. And th the other part is, aren't we looking for evenness? right? From pose to pose to pose. So if I'm in a back bend, I don't care how far I go, but I do care that the lower back, the mid back and the upper back all have about an equal sensory experience, right? And so in these poses, I, I really think that um, we are looking for evenness, for equanimity, for balanced sensation. That yoga to me is, it really has a tone, and that tone is one not of high local stress, but of well-distributed demands. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example? I mean, you kind of, maybe wheel is your example, but of a pose where you notice a tendency for people to have trouble distributing the um, the forces. Or the, the force, the, the feeling, the stress. Yeah, yeah wheel is the best one. Or yeah. bridge, yeah. where that lower back feels like, oh my gosh. It's taking it all. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, and it's not bad to feel your lower back in a back bend. Of course, you feel your lower back in a back bend. The question is is it a significant disproportion, lower back, mid back, upper back? Mm -hmm. um, same thing in a forward bend. Like, where actually is the sensation? Is it all, is it 99% of it in the hamstring attachment? It, then you got a problem. I don't care how far you've gone. Or like what book you've read or what teacher said, this is the way to do it. If you have a high concentration of load, you are much more likely um, to overstress that area. Similarly, I'm not sure how that actually fits into the teachings of yoga that are just literally constantly populated with this idea of evenness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So next best practice is similar with a little twist, which is emphasizing an even sustainable intensity while 
de-emphasizing focus on range of motion. Yeah, I think this is this is so common now. You know, like I think there's so there's so many conversations now, almost to the point of being problematic, um, discussing the possible perils of excess range of motion. Um, now we're we're not going to really talk you and I right now about um, hypermobility because that's a very complicated conversation, mm-hmm. and hypermobility is not the same thing as being flexible. And right. being flexible isn't the same thing as hypermobile. Totally. Right? It's it's actually a technical term. Like, like not sleeping last night is not the same thing as having clinical insomnia. Yeah. You know a, what I mean? It's a, it's, a, um, it's a collagen disorder, actually. Yes. Yeah. So um, the point that I want to make on this is I do not think we should vilify range of motion. Okay. At the same time. I think we can stop valorizing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And really what I'm looking for is I'm always thinking this. And I think I don't remember any of my teachers. I don't remember Rodney ever saying something like exactly saying this. Um, but one of the things that I just know I picked up from probably Rodney was being able to look at a body and say, does something seem like it doesn't fit here? Does something lack cohesiveness? Does it kind of seem like the this backbend like has a big kink in it? Or does it feel like, you know, like this shape, like everything is doing X and one part of the body is doing like X times five, you know? And so I think, and then same language I think of is, I think about stepping back looking at a body with a soft eye and saying, does it look like everything is kind of working together? Or does it kind of look like one part is moving a ton relative to another part, right? So that's one component of trying to help people to understand, hey, your priority in yoga isn't how much you can get one thing to go. It's how well you can get all things to go together, right? And I say this to people all the time is that it's much more, uh, because I don't know if you know this too, but I'm a, a concert musician. Oh my gosh. And a professional athlete. Soon to be professional athlete. Right, right, right. Probably going to be an F1 driver. I, yeah. I was thinking Premier League soccer. I was thinking for quite a while that I would, that I would just, I'd join the Hotspurs or something and I'd just go, you know, just live that life. Is that a Tottenham team? Yeah. Okay. And then I, and then I've reduced that a little bit because what I realized is there are a lot of professional footballers out there, Mm -hmm. but there's only 20 Formula One drivers. So you know what there's going to be? 21. No, no. There's going to be one without a seat coming soon because this guy's coming in. (laughs) No. So when you're teaching, it's it's the thing that I want to feel in my body is like... um, not this solo performance, but this the the orchestra, right? It's how everything works together. Um, and what reminds me too of of uh, the late and great Mati Ezradi, right? Her talking about advanced students, right? And I remember her in this little video, right? And it was exactly what her and Rodney and I think this this generation of yoga student teachers that preceded social media just really honed into. I remember her talking about how she saw whether or not someone had a quote unquote advanced practice in triangle pose. That it wasn't that it, their handstand or their backbend, it was triangle pose. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she could see in triangle pose how how well everything worked together. 
and whether or not the feet were working with the legs, working with the lower belly, working with the ribs, you know, instead of like advanced being how far can a thing go? Like what are the max limits? Mm -hmm. Not what is the max limits? Like how loud can this one part be? Who cares? Mm -hmm. um, how well can everything orient together? One thing from an injury management perspective to remember is that thing that can overdo seems in the short term like it's an asset because it'll do that thing for you. In the long term, it's a liability because it did that thing for you, hmm. right? And so, and so stepping back and not vilifying range of motion, but just kind of saying like, can we look for equanimity in a pose? And can we valorize that? Hmm. You know, yeah. a sense of evenness and, and um, self-agency and ownership over skill. Like it's the, the Iyengar quote, skill in action, not extreme motion in action. That's just, it's just not really part of this discipline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, that, that kind of brings us into the, the two, you know, the, they're kind of, they're kind of related, but the two other big concepts here, just in terms, again, really best practices and broad kind of meta-level thinking for minimizing the potential of injuries. Um, and then we'll do more podcasts. We're kind of going into even more nuts and bolts. Um, but helping students understand and prioritize the big picture of their practice, right? Um, when you come into your yoga practice, you and your students are following an urge to be well. And it might be that you're following, um, I don't want to judge it, but you might be following a, a slightly more um, surface level inclination, right? You might think, oh my God, I want to start yoga because I want to lose weight or I want to strengthen my body or I want to be more flexible. What a, fine. Those are totally fine inroads. Those are ways that you believe at that time you're going to bring a little bit more peace and harmony um, to your experience and, and be a little bit happier and more content. Um, I don't think that those things are in any way wrong or low or at all. At the same time, I think that as yoga teachers, by helping reinforce the value, hey, you're here. You're here to challenge yourself, to learn. But as you do this, as you learn and grow, ultimately there is a big picture, which is you're here to learn about yourself. You're here to care for yourself. You're here to learn how to breathe. You're here to develop a little bit more resilience under stress. I think that if we stay connected to those big picture things, that we can also focus on smaller things, right? I'm gonna give you a quick example. And I remember a long, long, long time ago, and I'm paraphrasing here, but one of my teachers of many years ago, Ramanan saying, look, of course I work on and I want to be able to do every posture in light on yoga, but I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity or the quality of my breath while I do it. So we can, so, so as practitioners and teachers, we can, actually be goal oriented from time to time because we have kind of two sets of goals in any given class. Yeah, maybe you are working to strengthen this or you're working to stretch this or you're working to develop this posture, but you're doing it 
with the bigger, broader goal and the and the governorship of self care, mm-hmm. of self understanding. Well, it's like it gives you a check. Uh, you know, it's a check and a balance. It's a, that's exactly yeah. what it is, right? Yeah. And so, in that way, in that way, we are actually because because we are that too, right? We we as humans, we're not every day of our life going to be motivated to go to a yoga class just because. Like, okay, I'm going to go to yoga class so that I learn about self-compassion. So that I, I'm more equanimous with right? my, my daughter. It's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. It's not, it's just not going to happen. It's, it's just, that's not a very motivating, um, like a daily motivating factor. Like that's a motivating factor when you're up against the wall, mm-hmm. you know? But that's where as, as teachers, we, we have to understand, and we talk a lot about this in this, in this kind of the sequencing and all the training work that I do is like, Yes, we are teaching postures, and yes, we are strengthening this, and yes, we are increasing range that, and yes, we are kind of developing our physical vocabulary. And no, of course, that's not the end of what we're doing. We're developing the ability to work on A, B, C, D, E, while also making sure that we are managing it with big picture integrity that we are managing it with big picture self-care, that we're that just as humans, we're able to relate to, to more than one layer of ourself at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think if you can't relate to more than one layer of yourself at the same time, um, all this injury management stuff is going to go out the door. Because if right, because if 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 you if you if we really think, you know what, happiness doesn't come from wellness and self-regulation. It comes from getting my pelvic floor to the ground in Hanumanasana. <laughs> Right, <laughs> then take all the technique and kiss it goodbye mm-hmm. because you're gonna be a goner guaranteed. I yeah. guarantee it. Yeah, that's the final thing. The final thing is convince your students that the best, quickest route to progress, even vain material physical progress, is not hurting themselves. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, everyone, everyone that's listening to take a moment and think. Yeah, I did learn a lot from that hamstring injury, but I wish I hadn't. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, so so this is one of the things too, is like, I don't teach at a fitness facility anymore, but I did for a really long time and I would totally do it again. And one of the things I liked about teaching at a fitness facility is, is a lot more guys would come to class because it was more, I think, speaking as a, speaking as a, as a guy, um, I had no hesitation saying that I was a concert violinist, <laughs> saying that I was a biostructural engineer. It was it's that it's that it's that evergreen education I had. I couldn't quite acknowledge I was a guy. Yeah, it was too, <laughs> too binary. Yeah, too binary. <laughs> okay, um, it's it can be really difficult for people to go outside of their comfort zone and culture, and for a lot of Guys, especially people, guys that have played sports a bunch, it's much more comfortable to be at the gym and then walk into your yoga class at the gym than it is to like go to a yoga studio. So one of the reasons that I really liked teaching at a fitness facility is my classes were more like, they were more demographically uh, split, at least men, women, right? Um, And then one of the things in that situation is so many of the guys that did come were basketball players. They're football players, they're baseball players. You know what I mean? They're like more like younger athletic demographics. And and I would see them 
oftentimes apply that sports mindset to a stretching posture, right? And I'd be like, I know you think gutting this out (laughs) (laughs) is like gonna help and and it's not, it's not, because this is different. You can gut out that last bicep curl, but you can't gut out going further Mm -hmm. in a quad stretch. It's a different thing. When you're gutting out muscle fatigue, it's a little different than when you're gutting out going further in a stretch. Totally. Okay? And so I would just just try to be like, okay, if you are only here because you want to stretch, that's fine. I love you and you're welcome to come to my class forever. You never need to read the sutras. That's your karma, not mine. But if all you want is greater flexibility, the best way to get that is to not be a knucklehead and push your body too hard because that injury is going to set you back. Yeah. It's like taking care of your machine. Totally. And you're right. I mean, they're just such different. There's it's, they're just such different components of care, like the strength training versus, um, for stretching, just completely different mechanisms. And can I say one more thing? Of course you can. And then we actually have to be not terrible marketers and try to remember the dates of this injury prevention program. Oh, it's in early November. It's like the uh, second week of November or the first week of November. It's coming up. Yeah. If you go to um, jasonyoga.com. This thing is going to be so ridiculously thorough. Slash injuries. You can get all the information you want to get about it. Um, Okay. Um, one of the people that has influenced my thinking, especially about shoulders is Dr. Paul Roach. We've done a lot of work together over the years, although it's been quite a while, actually, I should reach out to him. Actually, I'm going to reach out to him and see if he'll do a little thing for this course. Um, anyways, so I remember having this very interesting conversation with Paul. Um, and if you don't know who Paul is, he's a doctor of uh, sports medicine and orthopedic surgery. He specializes in shoulders. Um, really great yoga practitioner. I mean, he's, he's not like the most mobile guy in the world, but has like good technique and yeah. skill. And he's been on a bunch. You know, Paul. Yes. Um, anyways, one of the things that he was saying is, I remember him saying something along the lines of, um, it's the timetable. It's the timetable that people keep inside for acquiring things that kills them. It's the timetable of thinking, by the end of this year, I got to be able to do Urdhva Dhanurasana. By the end of this month, I want to be able to do Padmasana. By the end of, this happens all the time because timetables work both ways, okay? So it's the futurizing timetable, not of saying, hey, this is a process. I'm going to learn what I'm going to learn. I'm going to respect my body. It's the mind saying, I'm going to control this and I'm going to get this outcome by this date. Right. Right. So, so that, he was saying that that's. That, that, that oftentimes what that does is that makes people, that makes people um, not pay attention to the sensations that are happening. It makes people push because people get so outcome oriented that people are much more likely to transgress injuries. Oh, that's so interesting. Injuries. That makes sense, yeah. Or they're much more likely to transgress their body because they're trying to get something done at a certain time, mm-hmm. right? And you think about it too, you think about when you're like, oh my God, I gotta get this task done by midnight tonight, right? At some point, if it's coming close to that line, what are you gonna do? You're gonna 
You're not going to, it's the, what you're doing is not going to be very skillful anymore because the object is, the objective is no longer skill and sustainability. The objective is get what we perceive as our desired outcome. And that, that is risky. Then the other time part of the timetable is reverse. And I know every single person, this has happened. They've had this thought. I used to be able to. <laughs> Well, so it's not the, it's the, have that thought, but at our the, age, we definitely have. Totally. <laughs> but it's the, I'm going to get this, I'm going to be able to do this by then. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's a very normal human thing. Yeah. That's why it's so pernicious mm-hmm. is because it's a very normal thing, right? So it's the, I'm, I want to do this by then, or I used to be able to. And the, I used to be able to, I think is really difficult for our psyche and ego Right, it's very hard. It's 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 yes. I know it's crushingly difficult. I mean, it's right? parallel with the whole aging process. Aging process is difficult. It's yeah. all about letting go. So, I mean, this is also too where like when I say I am going to become a f- professional Formula One driver, I'm not saying by when. No, I know the. I I will be honest. Having just turned forty six, the clock is ticking. I, I, I want you to know I already sent out to get the jumpsuit made for you. Okay. Because I definitely want to see you in one of those jumpsuits because they're really cute. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Everyone's uh, out there like, ew. <laughs> well, it's those drivers. They look good in them. I, I don't think yes, you want me to. Do. I don't think you want to. Oh, yes, them. I do. Okay. <laughs> All right. Should we end this episode? Yes. I'm just embarrassed. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I will put a link to the injury management um, information registration page on the show notes. I will also put some links to some blog posts that Jason has done. Uh, He has a whole expert's guide to Chaturanga series of blog posts. I feel like you also have a series of blog posts about shoulders, don't you? That might be relevant. Yeah, but I, but, but also everyone can just keep their eye out because I'm creating a bunch of new content for. Okay. Well, you can find show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 210 million. (laughs) All right, everyone. Until next week, enjoy your practice.